Hi everyone and welcome to Hit the Apex this week. We are on to our second leg of the triple header for the Formula 1 Championship. Um, we've got the French Grand Prix to wrap up for you this week and of course preview the Austrian Grand Prix as well ahead in a couple of days time. So uh, without further ado, we've got plenty to cover as well as the digest and some other little bits as well um, between our review and the preview. But yeah, Baden, we're still in the thick of it, you know. Um, I guess first blood to Lewis Hamilton in this um, triple header. Can Ferrari Sebastian Vettel strike back come Austria? We'll talk a bit about that later. But going to France, yeah, it was a, a dominant display, wasn't it? Yeah, Ferrari not without its chances, but that came to a head pretty rapidly at turn one and good salvage drive from Vettel and, and Kimi Raikkonen at least kept himself uh, in that equation. So it wasn't a complete disaster for them but Mercedes uh, really from that Friday it looked like uh, they were just dominant and probably only that collision in the first turn denied them a a one-two and Lewis Hamilton just hitting that kind of form which we probably hadn't seen to date where he's just in a a league of his own. Yeah I mean Mercedes introduced that phase 2.1 power unit I mean phase two just sounds like some Marvel uh, at least it wasn't as bad as Marvel's Phase 2, I'll give him that. They um, are the Germans, after all. Is they going to do some kind of <laughs> evil deed as a, as a duration of yeah, the season? Yeah, so basically that was their silver bullet, you could say, for the weekend. And also, um, let's not deny the fact this is the second race out of three where they've had those reduced tread depths on the Pirelli tyres and now Mercedes have also come out and dominated here as well. So that's probably another thing. But yeah, you know, Mercedes finally bringing that up grade with them this weekend and yeah it's uh put them in front but overall the whole weekend a bit of a logistical disaster you could say the french grand prix from all the commentary surrounding it you know it was very hard to get to the circuit with only one road leading to and from traffic jams and then of course even the track itself just confusing a lot of drivers and we'll talk about um how they're looking to remove that chicane at the end of the Mistral Strait for next year because that's how they have it for everything else, basically. But for Formula One, they decided to introduce it. But yeah, it just confused the hell out of people. It confused the, the hell out of people, but it seemed to be the source of uh, much of the, the drama on race day. So there's a case to be made for its retention. And you could say that it comes down more to the spectacle and, and the speed those cars carry. But uh, it wasn't quite the disaster when it came to on track. It might have seemed a bit um, just dull and like in a carpet of sea essentially from that <laughs> practice running so it, it did definitely get a pass mark overall yeah overall I guess it was and we'll go over it now so Lewis Hamilton 75th career pole position for him he led from the start basically every lap it was a chaotic first lap and I I sort of saw it coming with all the cars basically just everywhere and it started off I guess with Sebastian Vettel getting a really strong start and we knew that he would do that on those ultra soft tires everyone else was on super softs and basically he just had nowhere to go and um, ended up locking up his wheels and colliding with Valtteri Bottas so fortunately I guess it didn't eliminate them from the race there and then they both were able to rejoin the race under the safety car they had uh, pit stops to repair the damage Sebastian given a five second penalty of course uh, to take in the second stop which he ended up doing but um, everyone coming out saying that 
it should have been harsher. I mean, for me, when looking at the incident again, it seemed like he had nowhere to go. He had no choice. It wasn't as brazen as what some people are making it out to be. So, you know, what are your thoughts on that? Was it justified or should it have been more harsher like some people are saying? It's fairly marginal. The way that first corner creeps up, it's not the longest run into that left-hander and he probably was for all intents ahead of Bottas until he broke perhaps a smidge early and Bottas with that late entry so it was just a a natural collision course just the position that he was in boxed in into that rundown into T1 and uh, I guess more so for the the case of what it did do to Bottas regardless of the fact there was contact he's got those other individuals up in arms and you know maybe a 10 second penalty would have been optimal as a as a sanction there but I think anything more than that really wouldn't have fit that crime and and then that aftermath of course the uh, not the hypocrisy but a bit of tongue-in-cheek banter from Max Verstappen just to to highlight what a, a storm in a teacup this little situation was <laughs> yeah saying that they should um criticize uh Seb more than they do Max or whatever. Max having a good weekend again, claiming another podium, um, avoiding that first lap chaos, and he ended up coming in second at the end of that first lap, which was good to see. So a great race for him. But yeah, going back to, I guess, um, Bottas and Vettel, um, Seb ended up having a strong recovery, you could say, came back as high as I think fourth he was, but then ended up losing that position, sorry, to, to Kimi Raikkonen, who was on the better tyres, better strategy, and then Daniel Ricciardo in the end as well um, got him too, so fifth, I guess, not bad considering the situation at the start of the race and um, for Valtteri Bottas it could have been a bit better too but uh, botched second pit stop saw him only finish seventh in the end so I guess at least they were able to square the score points but I guess what you were saying about the criticism against Seb the fact that the penalty didn't seem harsh enough because he just carved up the entire field when he came out on those soft tyres and I guess it was probably the most entertaining part of the race so you don't want to take away from that at least. Yeah really for for entertainment there Vettel were really for his uh, recovery that that was something that you crucial considering the swing against him there from that very bare lead he took into the race one point so uh, it's obviously uh, back to, to where he was a few weekends ago before Canada there and he's probably been a bit unfortunate since those opening two victories it seems as though circumstances have just conspired against him most weekends whilst for for Bottas this one even though he's been driving as well as he ever has uh, probably puts that line through him as far as championship contender he just hasn't been at all lucky and uh, the way it's going I don't know when that first victory is going to come for him this season yeah I mean you could say that I guess uh, he and Daniel Ricciardo seem to be not equal but in that same vicinity on points but Ricciardo with two wins under his belt still is a long way off I guess those leading two guys now so you know perhaps they'd need a few more results to go in their favor to be back in contention but yeah it's uh, at the moment 14 points between um, Seb and Lewis at the top there and then I think it's like 30 or something back to the next guy which is now Valtteri Bottas after the oh sorry uh, Daniel Ricciardo after that um, last race. Yeah, well, for, for those guys, they really need to solidify in the run to that mid-season break because it's becoming clearer despite the 
competitiveness on any given weekend from a, a Ricardo or even a, a Bottas if Hamilton's not firing. That the these victories between the Hamilton and Vettel there they're they're just edging clear. So uh, I think that it's coming down yet again to that. Um, I guess you could call it a bit of an iconic rivalry these two are now forging. Yeah, well, we didn't see. We said this a lot last year that we never got to see these two fight like this when they were at their previous teams being McLaren and Red Bull even though they were championship contenders at the time it wasn't as I guess direct as it is now but um, yeah it's great to see that and we stressed I guess last week going into the triple header and also to France that you know both of them have got to sort of keep wheel to wheel or just try and keep the points as equal as possible coming out the other side if if both of them are going to be a chance going into that mid-season break. So, you know, one point to Lewis there now. Can Seb bounce back? Or will one driver walk away with the rest of the races in that triple header? So it's going to be really crucial, Austria, this one. And Silverstone, we already know how strong Hamilton is there normally. And that's that third race, of course, with the uh, modified Pirelli tyres too. So, yeah, it's going to be a, a big one, you could say, this weekend. Yeah, it really puts the onus on Ferrari to strike back. And based on 2017, you could make a case there that very unfortunate uh, for Sebastian Vettel not to have taken victory, remembering Valtteri Bottas off the line. It was very dubious whether he had indeed jumped that fifth light. And just across the board, it seemed as though Hamilton had one of those weekends where he was listless. And for Ferrari, if they can strike back here, it's all game on. But I think if Hamilton were to emerge from... The coming fortnight with a trio of victories, that's really going to be a reminiscent of the way uh, the situation panned out last season. Yeah, exactly. And um, I guess wrapping up those top guys now, Kimi Raikkonen was the third guy on the podium. I mean, I mean, it was, a, I guess, a bittersweet race for him because he got a poor start again. He's not made up any positions this year off the start, which has been um, talked about a lot. And then again this weekend, he even though he was on the ultra soft tyres like um, his teammate, he wasn't able to get off the line very well and just dropped positions. I guess he was a bit lucky with the safety car and the fact that um, Bottas and um, Vettel were further back in the field he made the pit stop he was quicker than Seb on the tyres he passed him and then eventually yeah he was able to hold on to third a lonely third but um yeah I guess it wasn't probably the best race for Kimi again oh just one that he'll take to the the bank and he's been there or thereabouts this season but as far as his uh contrast to the future and you see Charles Leclerc who is now um race after race putting it uh, the, the Sauber above and beyond where it should be. Yeah, compare it to the benchmark now, Marcus Ericsson. It's really becoming quite definitive, uh, that relation. And you can see Leclerc constantly in those points and all signs from, from the talk is that uh, the Finn will probably be facing his final season after about four near misses, you could say, pretty much since he returned to Ferrari in 2014. There's been speculation, but it's the strongest it's ever been that... Uh, he will finally be uh, shown the door and will have um, a fresh new face at Maranello come 2019. Yeah, well, before the race, there was a lot of chatter about um, the fact that Ferrari had made up their mind about Charles Leclerc. And I guess, you know, it, it seems a bit contrary to what they normally do. They're not 
uh, what do you call it? They're not normally ones to go after a young driver who's, uh, I mean, uh, it's unfair to say that Leclerc's unproven, but the fact that he's only had one season under his belt, I mean, I fully endorse if they do that, that, yeah, that'd be the right thing to do, get him in the car quickly, you know, it'll give him a chance to develop his skills and also to be nurtured, I guess, by the team and everything, and I guess this early on, he wouldn't be too much of a threat to Vettel anyway, as far as championships are concerned, and I don't think Leclerc would would be the kind of guy to, to do that, so, like, just to he could easily slot into that position that Kimi's in now as being not the rear gunner, but being more the supporting act, but also be in that sort of Valtteri Bottas type of position where he's actually contributing to the the total points tally and, you know, Constructors' Championship, which, you know, as good as Kimi's been over the past few years, that's where Ferrari have really lacked, is both cars scoring a solid haul of points. And I know that Ferrari themselves have made some poor strategic calls which have cost those points for Kimi but hopefully with a driver like Leclerc on board that they would actually reconsider that and perhaps you know be in that position where like Mercedes they can go after one twos every race because we haven't really even though Ferrari have been strong for the last year and a half more often than not we don't see them finish one two I think maybe Hungary last year was one race I remember they Monaco as well was only two races I can recall that they actually finished one two um so you know considering how strong they've been this year and of course Seb's had three wins um it would be great if we could see some more Ferrari one twos and if it's not going to happen then hopefully in the future it'll happen with Charles Leclerc on board if they do decide to go for him as well so um yeah well let's get it back on track anyway with um I guess, being the French Grand Prix, we had three French drivers on the grid and all three of them were involved in a turn one incident with each other. That was, you know, you couldn't have scripted it any better. That with Roman Grosjean basically triggering it, um, he had a shocking weekend. He got into Q3, of course, and then crashed in Q3 um, into the wall, which would have been pretty embarrassing in front of your home crowd. Then triggered an incident which saw Pierre Gasly and Esteban Ocon eliminated both on the first lap. And for something like that, Grosjean was hit with a five-second penalty. So, you know, talk about penalties not being harsh enough. Clearly, it could have been a bit more considering two cars were eliminated as a result, whereas Vettel, both cars got away with it and he got five seconds and they thought he should have had his head cut off. Yeah, I don't think those two really add up. And, and you consider, again, just for, for where the notional Frenchman, I guess you could call him Swiss as well, in... Grosjean, it just continues this Anis Horribilis he's experiencing and you can see he's trying really hard to put himself in places to to make it happen since he's uh, literally pointless uh, now uh, eight rounds in so he he's probably a little bit trigger happy there and it's just a shame it had to come at the expense of his compatriots and the, the local interest dwindled rather rapidly from that point. Well, you use the words trigger happy. I mean, for a driver of Grosjean's experience, he's been on the grid for a long time now. He had that amazing run with Lotus in 2013 with the podiums and we thought that that was, a, that was when he had matured and everything. F- to now be resort back to being trigger happy it's like 
come on like you were once upon a time a really quick driver you started to develop your race craft and everything and now you're just suddenly back to square one so that's where it's like if you're not going to improve then you might as well just yeah pack your bags and be on your way because that seat could probably uh do with a better driver in it um if he's not going to improve Grosjean so a shame though like you'd like to see him doing better than do better than he is and I guess for Gasly Ocon and Ocon you know he had an amazing run when he made his career the start of his career with Manor all the way to I think the Brazilian Grand Prix last year didn't have a DNF to his name and now I think within the space of nine races he's had three or something because he had two earlier this well he had Baku this year and then of course now here in France and then Brazil last year too so sort of unraveling and a bit unfortunate considering those guys would have had pace to to be in the mix for points as well yeah for Gasly it's probably the third time this season he's been involved in a a bit of contact that's uh, ended his race very early so he's just unfortunate and it doesn't uh, deny he's still got a, a massive future ahead but it's just frustrating for the trio on home soil that it had to to end this way but they've just got to regroup and it's just one of those things at a new circuit and the dimensions of that layout it was fairly inevitable and and those other guys who ran wide into turn three probably count themselves fortunate to have avoided a similar fate (laughs) yeah well it just when i saw it practice free practice or whatever on friday night and thought I, I I might even I couldn't I can't even pay attention to what's going on because of all these lines. It's just so hard to keep up. But then eventually, as the weekend sort of panned out, it it became easier and easier. So good job, I guess, with the the camera side and the directing of the the race to make it viewable at least. But yeah, it was confusing at the beginning. So um, but going back to the race itself, yeah, uh, Carlos Sainz ended up third at the end of the first lap after the the carnage that we had and we thought oh this could be great you know we could see him um finally get up there get a good result for for Renault being you know with no French drivers left of course in the race um Renault the French team could they do well but no he ended up past uh getting passed by Daniel Ricciardo after the safety car came in but then at the end of the race he was having uh power unit issues I think with his MGK I believe and um I guess the virtual safety car that came out at the end of the race for Lance Stroll's tyre blowout ended up saving uh, the points finish that Sainz had with P8 and then Nika Hülkenberg P9. So uh, Renault at least were able to fly the tricolor at the end of the day um, to score double points. Yeah, they certainly were in lieu of uh, any particular customer who probably had their their worst weekend of the the season if that can be actually believed so for, for Renault they're just chipping away nicely keeping themselves very much in that likelihood of, of P4 and the, the constructors and a bit of chatter whether they're going to turn their heads towards 2019 that they're almost at a point where they're, they're looking quite secure in that position so you wouldn't blame them at all if at least from that mid-season break the they uh, they more or less just keep up with the current specification and that talk of that that new component coming to Austria, which uh, Red Bull themselves hot on the heels of that switch to Honda uh, for next season. They'll, they'll be the only team within the, the Renault fold. They're not opting for, for that um, immediately. Well, I think McLaren are not going to be taking it either off the back of um, they don't want to take a penalty this early in the season for it. So, um, yeah, so good boost for Renault there, which we'll talk about anyway when we head to the Austria, Austria part of this one. But, um, yeah, 
for Ricardo, um, we thought, yeah, passing signs he'd be on the podium too. Unfortunately, no. He had front wing damage and ended up losing that third to Kimi Raikkonen, and he came home fourth in the end, which was still pretty good for the for Red Bull to have both cars, you know, second and fourth. But um, yeah, it was a bit weird. We wondered how did he get the front wing damage, and I think it was just a piece of debris that got caught or tire marbling that got caught in the front wing, which basically hampered his pace throughout the the remainder of it. Yeah, on account of, of that, who knows how long it was affecting him, but pretty solid drive to bring it home in P4 again, maybe not up to, to scratch with Verstappen, you could say. It was just more of a positive, if anything, from Red Bull's perspective that the, the Dutchman had his second consecutive clean race, and that's something we haven't been able to say in quite some time. So they'd be pretty happy with their haul, even though we had the, the likes of Vettel and uh, Bottas out of the equation. Yeah, they were sort of worried because of the power nature of this circuit that they wouldn't be as close to Mercedes and Ferrari as they would have thought. And then I guess the same will be said about Austria too, given the fact that it's more of a power track and also they're adding that third DRS zone, which we'll talk about as well a bit later. So um, whether on home or on their home turf, can they... Um, close the gap a little bit more remains to be seen but yeah um great result i guess for red bull overall just gutted dan didn't get on the podium so but another driver who was disappointed with himself as we were saying is charles leclerc as um he started in eighth with the q3 uh, first time sauber got into q3 since the 2015 australian grand prix with felipe naza so really good result there in qualifying he was highest as sixth at one point in the race after the, um, what do you call it, the safety car shenanigans and everything. But then, yeah, ended up dropping to 10th because he, he tried to pass Magnussen, uh, went a bit wide, I think, or just went too deep into a corner, allowed Nico Hulkenberg to take advantage and ended up taking that position for the rest of the race. So still, he scored a point there, but, you know, the fact that he, for a team like Sauber, for a backmarker team who's not been in that competitive position, to feel disappointed um, with even just scoring a point, I think it's a hallmark of someone who's going to go far, you could say. And perhaps, you know, that's why you could say he's ready for Ferrari, that, you know, he's got his eyes on the prize and he's very mature and calm about it. Yeah, he's a pretty harsh taskmaster and a bit of wisdom there beyond his years. That, that sign of a once-in-a-generation talent could be on the... The, the scale of a, a Senna or a Schumacher or a, a Hamilton. So uh, back to that earlier point you made about him being a safe number two, I wouldn't be so sure that he's going to be gliding in a uh, place of Raikkonen and just being a, a handy points accumulator. He could be one of those drivers who immediately gnaws away at the, the established order, just as Hamilton did for Alonso in 2007. So it could, could be something which uh, gets some fireworks going within Ferrari, and we probably haven't seen that too often lately even 2014 you had Alonso and Raikkonen there but they were (laughs) nowhere so it never really got to be realized but you can't think of the last time Ferrari's ever had a situation where they've had two drivers who are pretty much equals uh not Mansell and Prost when they were together yeah that was 30 years ago (laughs) that's a long time ago yeah oh yeah more more recently uh, of course yeah well uh, no, not even Massa Schumacher in that first season. Was. Oh, it wasn't really on par as yeah, such. So, but yeah, no, what you're saying is a fair point. I mean, I would have thought that 
as a safe bet, yeah, he would still be good. But if he was to take it to seven immediately, I mean, oh, that would be even better because, you know, we've got so much hype around Max Verstappen and I feel like, you know, he's just as good as he is. Those inconsistencies haven't really done it um, for me just yet. But Leclerc, the way he's shown himself at Sauber so far in just eight races, I reckon he could be a lot more composed and more calm, get the results as well as being that amazing driver. So it's really exciting to see Leclerc, Ocon, you know, these guys, it's so good to see that, you know, I mean, what you talked about last week in that article um, that you wrote, the per, uh, being your 20th year um, watching F1 and the generational change, like that got me thinking because... You know, we grew up sort of with drivers like Raikkonen and Alonso and Schumacher and all that. And this is the first time that with the grid that we've got, we're starting to see more of these, you know, drivers that are younger than us coming through. So it's almost like a whole new generation. We, It's almost like our second generation that we're going through with Formula One. So it's just really exciting to see these young guys coming in, doing so well, like, it sucked when um, through F2, GP2 or whatever, guys like Palmer and Van Dorn, they've come through, but they've not really made an impact. But now we've got guys like Gasly, Ocon, Leclerc, and they're making an impact. And that's, you know, really good for the future of the sport. Yeah, I think that it's just uh, quite overdue when you consider that holding pattern we had in the middle part of this decade with the, the likes of Massa and Button and now to an extent Alonso and Raikkonen who are shadows of their, their former yeah, selves. Yeah, well, both could be. You can see that clearly uh, it's well and truly time to, to usher in the new talent and if it does sound ruthless and so be it, it's not like these guys haven't had their, their time in the sun and um, I guess for these other teams when they, they're meandering around the back, they've got nothing to lose by throwing them in and seeing if they've got what it takes. Yeah, and uh, just realise then, you know, it could be possible that both those guys um, are not on the grid next year, Raikkonen and Alonso, so, you know, two more world champions bow out together. So, But anyway, let's get things back on track. So Leclerc, yeah, disappointed with 10th, but, you know, you could see that he's got that maturity about him and, you know, perhaps, you know, big results with the Sauber could be still um, possible for the rest of the season. So we'll wait and see if he can do another Q3 or score even a top six finish. But um, I guess terrible race for Force India, both cars out. We talked about Ocon, but Sergio Perez had engine troubles, which wasn't good. They lost points. No points for Williams either. We talked about Lance Stroll with that tyre blowout late in the race. I mean, I th- was it during practice or qualifying where he was whinging about something on the radio again he's like tell me something what to do almost sounded like monaco last year he's like you're not giving me information give me information sounds like every race at this point yeah and then mclaren too which you alluded to before as well the renault customer having their worst weekend of the season and um alonso not happy on the radio again he's like i've got no tires i got no pace What am I doing? And it was kind of funny. Just to, as much as I want them to do well, I always love hearing an Alonso rant on the radio just for the insanity part of it. And you think that moment seven days earlier, he was on the top step at Le Mans. It's a little bit of a contrast. Oh, yeah. And that would have obviously hurt him a bit too psychologically, given that seven days ago he was, 
you know, won, he won one of the biggest races in the world to come back to his McLaren and not even be in with a chance to fight with, for the points or whatever. So um, you'd hope that they'd turn it around. We already said that they're not going to take that upgrade in, in Austria because of the penalties and whatnot. So, yeah, it's g- going to be a big one for McLaren, I guess, coming into the next few races. And a bit on McLaren, actually, in the digest. But first, let's uh, say driver of the day. I mean, controversial one for me, choosing Sebastian Vettel. He was voted the driver of the day for a, in the online vote or whatever. But yeah, he put in a great drive to recover back to finish where he did in fifth. I still don't think he was um, that penalty. Like, the way he was beaten up about it, I still don't think that that was justified. Like, yeah, he made a mistake, but it wasn't as brazen as what Verstappen does, for example. So Max doing his hoo-ha routine in the press conference is like oh well maybe you should uh, talk to Sebastian about it or whatever you know uh, he drove a good race which is good to see yeah put some perspective on the situation so I think that uh, for Vettel again he was compromised but there's nothing to see and, and move on and uh, he just shows that uh, as much as Hamilton is hyped as the most complete driver I think Sebastian Vettel probably deserves a lot more platitude than he than he currently receives. Yeah, like ever since he came to Ferrari, that um, air of maturity about him since the Red Bull days and everything, you saw. Sorry, he's certainly evolved since then. And, you know, when you can reflect back on his career, like a lot of criticism was there around the fact that he was not good when it came to passing and overtaking and actually being a racer because he won all his races from pole position. But, yeah, these these victories he's taken with Ferrari have certainly required him to do a lot more. And you could say that, yeah, Austria, uh, sorry, uh, France, like Abu Dhabi 2012, um, were great recovery drives for him from him, which could be championship defining. Yeah, he's really starting to show those signs which you can associate with that um, four titles back in the day. Feels like such a, a long time ago, but he hasn't just looked well, as assured of himself in a, a long time. You think that was a long time ago? How do you think Fernando Alonso feels? <laughs> it was another age, basically. It was in another century. The, well, it is in another century. It wasn't de- another century. It's not <laughs> like he was racing in the 80s. No, but it feels like it would feel like that way. Like it's been more than a decade but it feels more than that though, since he won those so anyway let's move it on um to the digest i guess now and going back to mclaren and when i heard about this last week it was shortly after we finished recording last week and i was like okay the people who are reporting on this uh, i don't really trust because it was like channel nine and fox sports all the australian publications and then all of a sudden, it blows up that McLaren have made a big offer to Daniel Ricciardo to come over to them. $20 million a season um, is the deal. And Ricciardo didn't confirm or deny that in France when he was quizzed about it. So a lot's been already made of it. The fact that given McLaren's situation and everything where they are, you know, does Ricciardo really want to risk killing his career for it? Or could it possibly be a masterstroke in terms of how Lewis Hamilton, and this is what has been directly said, is that, you know, could he do a Lewis Hamilton by uh, leaving his team and going to uh, to Mercedes, or which in this case will be McLaren? So what's to make of this? I don't see it happening. McLaren in its current state, it'd be better off, if anything, making a switch to Renault with the, the works power, the way that they're 
coming on online the last 12 to 18 months, that's a much more realistic chance of equating to a Hamilton move within that works uh, environment. I think McLaren, anytime under the current regs, they're going to be uh, pretty much status quo and a move uh, to them probably 2021s when you'd be wanting to attract the likes of of um, Ricardo, and in the meantime, that talk of getting a Norris or one of those less established drivers in, that's probably befitting for McLaren's current state. Well, let's throw a spanner into the works. I read on BT Sport this morning that apparently um, Kimi Raikkonen's a name mm. that's come into yes. the fold. <laughs> and I'm like, start what? speculating on every driver now. No, no, <laughs> but they've, they've, someone's brought this up, and I'm like, why? You know, I thought he would just go into retirement after this, but apparently they want an experienced driver... Like they want whole, they want to. They suggested a wholesale change where even Van Dorn's made the fall guy. They bring in Lando Norris and Kimi Raikkonen. I thought that was really puzzling. I'm like, okay, well. there's no no supporting arguments to that it was merely an article saying that McLaren would like a, a driver of his caliber. So I don't think there's much to, yeah, I mean, to read into this. Am I getting carried away? I don't think so. So yeah, I mean the fact that. That's on the table for Dan. You're suggesting perhaps Renault's a better option anyway, but I guess it's sad the fact that, you know, he wants to be at a Ferrari or a Mercedes, but that's not going to be able to happen this time round um, because I guess with Ferrari, they're pursuing perhaps Leclerc now being the cheaper option, whereas with Dan, you'd have to pay him a salary similar to, to Sebastian's, of course. I mean, this is a money game as well as. Um, a sport as well so the fact that yeah when the salaries come into it I find it hard to believe Ferrari couldn't afford his retainer though so I think there's more to it than than just income that's going to determine whether this guy who's won two races is not up to task and not worth a little bit of extra on the side in when you can see what he's done If, if that's not enough then clearly nothing ever will be to crack that top two uh, teams on the grid but the th- at the same time it's like well as good as it would be to have ricardo there as lo- as we've said all the time the fact that they've got this whole junior academy thing or whatever isn't it time that they reward one of their junior drivers who've actually deserved to to step up and everything so i mean what's the point of having it all then if they're not going to have their young drivers promoted so now at the moment um i'm fully behind leclerc moving up to Ferrari for next year. I think that would be the best thing to do, but it'd also seal in a long-term sort of future for Ferrari as well in the post-Vettel era. I see, if anything, that uh, it could be a slight delay. I don't think there's any chance of Ricardo at Ferrari, but you could just see Leclerc doing one more season at Haas with Raikkonen, believe it or not, retained for 2019, 2020 and beyond. If Ferrari were being anything near their conservative selves from the past, um, just give him that extra 12 months to mature. But I think the door's closed on anyone other than Leclerc being its future. Yeah, basically. And with Ricardo, like, there is still the chance he stays at Red Bull, you'd think. I mean, or just do a swap between he and Science, put Science in the Red Bull, um, and then Ricardo over to Renault with Hulkenberg, Pierre Gasly another year at Toro Rosso, because there's not really any Red Bull junior drivers out there of age that could come into Toro Rosso. So otherwise, what, do they go back get Jean-Eric Verne that's, or something? Talks. So yeah, you know. See the, uh, just like Hartley gets called in after six years in the wilderness and another discard after he, what he's gone on to in uh, 
um, Le Mans uh, WEC in Formula E, I don't think he's really got much incentive to walk away from a good thing he's got going there. Yeah, exactly. So, um, you know, it doesn't seem like Hartley will stay around next year, unfortunately. But, yeah, well, more, I guess... Everything will start to unravel. This is the time of year heading into that mid-middle of the season. We understand perhaps that Lewis Hamilton will announce his future perhaps at his home Grand Prix. You know, perhaps Anything Bottas will by extension be retained. Yeah, so you'd foresee the next two years at least um, to be status quo for Mercedes. Um, Ferrari perhaps with that one change to, to Leclerc, if possible, Red Bull. It's a it's a big unknown, I guess, with Ricardo. That's the that's the big play, I guess, at the moment. But I kinda like your idea then of a swap between Science and Ricardo between Renault and Red Bull if if it turns out. But Renault could say, no, we want to keep science. <laughs> I'd be happy to pay out whatever that would be to, to buy him out of that long-term servitude. And I guess for Ricardo, if he, if he really was um, just wanting to, to weigh up his options, he might recommit, as you've mentioned in the past, to, through 2020 there and see what Honda does have. And that might be a time where his options open up a lot more. Yeah, and you've got to feel for him in that case because he just wants to win races, win championships. But the situation he is in, it's almost like that. that's not guaranteed. Like if he announced that, oh, he's off to Mercedes next year, then it's like, oh, yeah, you would have him as a favourite for winning the championship. But unfortunately, with the uncertainty around Red Bull Honda, how they're going to fare... It's going to be like, well, you know, it could be a possibility still. It's certainly more of a chance than if he goes to McLaren and see them flounder for the next few years before the big regulation change. Renault as well, like, I mean, would you would you be convinced, you know, that they can make enough, like, let's say they have another year of development. Would you reckon 2020 could be a year that Renault... Um, are a chance for championships. Oh, well, that's very similar to what uh, Hamilton did when Mercedes had probably the, the rawest speed package in 2013, one more season, and they were just class of the, the field. So maybe 2020, 2021, with the, the new regulations, they'll be at, at full capacity. And Ricardo would be willing to, to, I guess, serve a year there just learning the car more than anything and being the lead driver from uh, the time that they're ready to, to make that leap into Mercedes and Ferrari territory. Mm, interesting. But anyway, we'll we'll continue on Silly Season Talk another time anyway because uh, Red Bull and Honda, apparently the deal is not fully done yet. Um, like it was, you almost forget that last year Sauber and Honda were supposed to get into bed together, but that didn't end up happening and apparently Red Bull are at that same stage with their deal with Honda that they've only agreed a memorandum of understanding so it's not fully done yet and I don't know what to make of this is this just fluff again from certain publications that oh you know it could be a, a u-turn still in the works but i mean it's hard to see them going back to renault now now after just burned after all that's happened it's like oh well what's going to happen then if this uh, mou isn't honored or whatever you know who do they go to afterwards so it's it's bit silly but it's it's out there to perhaps worry certain parties that oh it might not happen and whatnot so well, just bluster, I think, really. I think uh, for, for Renault, uh, Red Bull, when you see its future, they're clearly at a stage where they just got to try anything. And uh, two years before that, the new regs come in. And uh, if it does end up being a bit of a 
disaster at least they've tried something different and it could be pursued beyond that but if not then you know there's the door and they could make it make their exit at that time so uh, i think if anything it's just signing on the dotted line to make all of this official yeah official and finally we can move on from all this and uh, look forward to 2019 whatever it is um yeah and i guess moving you talked about formula e with john Eric and everything um we've heard that Susie wolf is coming back into motorsport not that she ever left but in a team principal capacity at uh, venturi for formula e which is really good to hear um following in the footsteps of her husband you could say um toto wolf with mercedes um she's now going to be the leader of that outfit and we know felipe mass is going to be there next year as the driver too so that's pretty exciting to see that um yeah you know despite motherhood and everything you know she's still got the passion to you know look after the dare to be different campaign which is making huge waves around the world which is really good to see um promoting women in motorsport but now she's getting behind the reins of a, a Formula E team as well, um, which will be worth looking forward to see how that pans out. Yeah, it's not the biggest surprise. You consider the, the F1 pass was Manisha Coulton-Born and Claire Williams. So clearly the, there's already a history there and Wolf's own experience uh, alongside a husband there, Venturi. With the, they've got the ties to Mercedes, don't they, there? So it would make sense in many respects. I'm to, not too sure about that one. Do they have Mercedes backing in any capacity? But I'm it not would t- certainly be <laughs> cool I'm not too knowledgeable on Formula E, unfortunately. Say, um, so. I'm in the know, but, but on the basis, if they do, when Mercedes makes that entry in uh, the next season or so, then you can see that uh, very much it just makes sense on a lot of levels to, to have uh, the Wolf Clan overseeing everything with the, um, an oracle eye, you could say, <laughs> like Yanis with the one corner oh, here, yeah. one corner there, maybe scouting out options from Formula E. And we could well, there see was... Um, F1 into that well, category. speaking of the Wolf Clan or whatever, there was that suggestion that perhaps Toto Wolf would be looking into buying out Force India. And there's been uh, some word on Force India this week. Vijay Malia's come out of hibernation and took to Twitter um, with some statements about what's going on and everything. I couldn't really decipher it, but, you know, it doesn't change the situation the team are in. Basically, the at the end of the day, they've got to sell the team, but they're being stubborn about the price and everything. And it's not very attractive to pr- prospective buyers to what what they're offering the team for. Yeah, it gets to a point where Force India, if they're not going to relent anytime soon and they end up in a state like Manor was with that um, previous owner, Fitzpatrick, who refused to budge on anything reasonable, then they find themselves the entire workforce off the grid and, and uh, unemployed that's the situation facing force India. yeah it's as not unfortunate it, 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 as to say for the great people which do run the team behind that uh, specter of vj malia and sabatra roy yeah but that's the thing like you know it's it, it no one understands the gravity of the situation where force india could possibly go into administration sometime this year if you know new buyers aren't found and if these guys who let's be honest you know they're facing prison time or one of them is already incarcerated um if they don't want to sell the team for what it's worth then you know someone's got to come and take control just like hostile take take custody or whatever of this neglected child that is force india so yeah you know enough of you know vj malia yeah at the start you could say that he's passionate about it but with the whole what's panned out it's like well that's it you know you're basically killing the team now um 
and the team is doing really well, which is good to see. But you could jeopardize all of that by your stubbornness, which is going to be, as you say, on all the staff that work behind the scenes, the drivers, all the parties involved, sponsors and all that. That's not going to be good. Yeah, it's a bit of a conflict as much as you haven't got time for, for those at the top. When you, you go beneath the, the surface there, the, these people are extremely competent and they deserve every opportunity to continue under a new identity. Yeah, so um, hopefully that can be sorted out sooner rather than later. We've heard about Andretti Autosport perhaps looking to invest and a rich energy, that energy drinks company in the UK as well. I'd you know having mentioned Andretti that would be really good if they would would consider it you know having Andretti and Haas in there together you know Andretti of course pretty global you could say these days with that investment here in Australia with the Walkinshaw group and then of course the ties with United Autosports which is owned by Zach Brown who is a boss at McLaren so you know everyone sort of it just brings all those synergies together and everything but yeah with Andretti I think it's basically to do with future proofing the sport the budget caps and all that if it's desirable then they'll look at it yeah I think again it's that that little period of of unknown whoever does um, take a stake will be doing so with an eye on 2021 so you can understand some apprehension from from those bidders but at the same time they've got to be uh, offered a, a reasonable um, arrangement there to to go any further with it so force india probably uh, in malia um really uh, not realizing that they haven't got as much leverage as they wish to believe oh yeah that's for sure i mean if they have any leverage at all whatsoever so um let's go straight into it then now preview of the austrian grand prix and that second leg as i said of the triple header red bull ring the styrian hills it's picturesque um Perhaps more so than uh, the French Grand Prix at the Paul Ricard circuit. But yeah, the quick turnaround, seven days, you know, are we going to separate the genuine contenders from the pretenders? Uh, Mercedes have dominated here since the race returned in 2014. Nico Rosberg won a pair of them. Then we had uh, Lewis Hamilton, of course, in 2016 um, with that final lap uh, <laughs> incident that happened with Rosberg in their little title battle. And then last year, it was Valtteri Bottas' second Grand Prix victory. And as you said before, with um, that fight with Sebastian Vettel all the way to the end, whether he whether Bottas got away with a jump start that you know still a bit marginal you could say but yeah it was another classic battle between Bottas and Vettel but um yeah Bottas uh sorry Vettel you know and Ferrari could this be the time that they they strike back and they won here in the last race that was staged before Austria dropped off the calendar with Michael Schumacher back in 2003 so could this be the year that they uh take that crucial win yeah, you see something like a, a Canada where just as Austria, Mercedes had the, the recent um, real success and then we were all really surprised by the way Ferrari came out and dominated there at Montreal. So I think that this, this is one where you can expect Ferrari to be, if anything else, keeping Mercedes extremely honest through Saturday. And I think that just having one of those more free-flowing classic layouts, it's really going to play into Ferrari's hands and that they need to maximise those points as we keep saying with that tyre diameter regulation heading into Britain they really just have to to execute and, and bag as many points as possible. Yeah exactly and I guess speaking of the tyres we're having a return to the 2018 spec 
Pirellis and the same compounds, the soft, super soft and ultra softs like with um, France there. But uh, Ferrari, of course, placing more emphasis on the ultra soft. So I guess it'll come down to qualifying first. You know, can they score pole position like Canada, of course? You know, it's a circuit that Mercedes have dominated at the past. And I get the feeling that this could be, you know, the weekend that they do take it. You know, do a clean sweep like they did in Canada. So, um we know that Mercedes have got that upgrade on hand. So how close can Ferrari be once we go back to the uh, proper 2018 spec tyres and, um, you know, different conditions again to France as well. So, um, yeah, it's going to be an interesting one for those guys between Mercedes and Ferrari. Yeah, I think uh, it's really quite clear at this point that a uh, Red Bull every now and again, they, they tend to capitalise on situations, but they need a lot to go right to have a, a look at victories and uh, between the... Uh, what Bottas displayed last season, I wouldn't put it past him to be the, the superior driver from that Silver Arrows camp. And for Vettel, he's really driving as well as he ever has. He, he too just needs a little bit of, of luck. So if anything, we could be in for a reprisal of 12 months ago. Yeah, well, it would be great to see Bottas um, get up there, of course. You know, just unlucky with the way things have panned out. He should have won Baku. That's a given. <laughs> I think everyone agrees there with that. So, yeah, this being a circuit that he's done well at, like even go back to when he was at Williams, he was on the podium, I think, every year before he made the switch to Mercedes and then started second on the grid in 2014 when Felipe Massa took that pole. So, yeah, it's been a great circuit for Bottas, more so than Hamilton. But, um, yeah, it would be nice to see Bottas up there this year. But Red Bull as well, as you said, yeah, can they back it up? What they did last year, they were on the podium with Ricardo. Um, but it just depends, you know. you got that third DRS zone there between turns one and three uh, to add to the overtaking opportunities. And it's a very short layout anyway. So, you know, expect a lot of uh, lapped cars in the mix as well, perhaps giving that DRS boost and everything. So, yeah, it'll be a pretty... I mean, it should be a cracker of the race more so than France was, even though France was still pretty entertaining in the end. It is the way the circuit flows and uh, plenty of good opportunities to overtake there in that run up to turn four, turn turn three, turn four. They gave that little kink beforehand in official status. So you could say there the run into turn six, they're both really ideal for the last of the late breakers. Yeah, so even, you know, uh, like that's why I said, yeah, between turns one and three because turn two sort of comes in between the DRS zone that they've added in there. So, um, and what, I guess, when it comes to these double headers, triple headers or whatever, um, and separating contenders from pretenders, um, that's where I feel like the midfield teams sort of get caught out a bit more and whether, you know, can Renault back up what they did last weekend or can they go a bit better? Um, the likes of McLaren Force India who didn't score points on that weekend, can they turn their luck around? I mean, McLaren... Not have typically gone well. I mean, Jensen Button was, I think, for McLaren Honda was third here one year when he's on the grid. That is due to penalties or whatever. So he still had a good qualifying, but um, just dropped away, of course, as you'd expect in the race. So could they possibly score points? Renault's there for Cyndia. Haas as well, I guess, a bit disappointed with Grosjean. Uh, they were better than Canada, than uh, they were better in France than they were with Canada. So could this be their weekend? And Sauber too, um, Charles Leclerc. It's every race. It's just like, what can this guy do? This would be great. Yeah, show me the money. But I think for Renault, the the intrigue there, this uh, 
really much mooted upgrade, which has been in the works <laughs> since last season. You could say that on some of those, uh, the back straights, if, if they've got a handy package there and with those uh, customers not taking up that option, maybe this is their chance to, to edge closer towards Red Bull. And that would be fascinating to see if it makes Red Bull regret uh, being a little bit conservative there and, and whether it was worth the, the, the wait for this upgrade and whether it really puts Renault into that... Um, echelon where they're well and truly looking like they're going to be gnawing away you could say at red bull rather than just being in that purgatory between those top three and then the rest who rely on a lot of luck oh red bull you know they shouldn't deserve any more upgrades anyway given the fact that they've made their mind up for 2019 and it's not with renault so that'll be great to see renault uh get a good result this weekend as well so um yeah, I guess that wraps up the preview. Let's do sporting moments of the week before we wrap things up for this week. And of course, uh, we had State of Origin on last week, or on Sunday, that is, before the race. And uh, New South Wales took uh, the victory in Game 2. They wrapped up the series, their first win, series win since 2014. But um, for me, my moment of the week, even though it was great to being the Queensland fans that we are, um, it was great to see them win with a fresh new team. I thought Kalen Ponga's debut for Queensland was, you know, one of the best debuts I've seen in a long time. Like, this is a kid who was brought on they didn't know which position he'd play and everything he's normally fullback they said all right you go do you go out as a loose forward but he was basically playing every position he wanted to tackle everyone um he i think he ended up with 30 tackles in the end coming off the bench he just wanted to be involved in every single play just the determination of this kid it's just he's like a little pest that doesn't go away and I was just like yes you know this is so good to see even though I'm still gutted that the Cowboys let him go at the um to the Newcastle Knights this year um that you know yeah this is a player that's going to have a big impact for Queensland in the future and especially with Billy Slater Darius Boyd both having announced their retirements from rep footy at the end of this year um You'd expect come next year's series that Ponga will be the uh, automatic number one uh, at fullback for the team um, for the next series. So that was my moment. How about you for this week? Yeah, just briefly on that one. Good to see the they're ushering in that new talent and probably the the series Queensland needed to drop just to put a definitive line through um, the past glories. And you can see that it was a great spectacle that second game. Both teams were worthy victors and New South Wales clearly wanted it badly enough. So credit to them with their reformed squad there headed by Brad Fittler. It was much deserved and they just seem like they go about it in a much better way than they ever did in previous eras. You could say uh, many coaches, a revolving door there where they just couldn't... Uh, quite get over Queensland so for them uh, massive congratulations really and, and whether they can continue it's the next question since they've uh, saw 2014 they're obviously Queensland bounce back immediately so for them it'll be about continuing this momentum they'll want to make a clean sweep of it to say that it was uh, it was theirs really well, well and truly but uh, as to my own moment of the the week I'd say that uh Adam Trelaw, as much as it wasn't a good outcome, it just shows you the way that football does work. A very uh, rare injury uh, at that with the, the multiple hamstrings being torn in, in varying degrees and a uh, big loss. It's now confirmed with the surgery required to at least one of those. And uh, uh, just remind you that uh, football can be quite 
fickle and um, really uh, when you think about the rivalry that it was on the day against Carlton there, uh, probably a bit of a dramatic backdrop to the, the ultimate victory and it just shows you that uh, strange things can go on in the, the sporting landscape and, and good luck to him in his recovery and uh, hopefully there's a chance he will return if, if Collingwood's fortunate enough to be there in September. Well, yeah, just unfortunate too, considering already the injuries that the team has had since the start of the season. And you'd hope that Trelaw's loss doesn't take away from the team in that run to the finals, sitting pretty in the position that they are. But I said, I think when we were at that Melbourne game a couple of weeks ago, that their little run at the moment, uh, their next three games look pretty favourable. You'd think that they'd win those. I think you've got Gold Coast up next or whatever, and then Essendon after that. So you'd think with those teams in their trouble that even with the loss of Trelaw, you guys still can win those games. And then hopefully when those tougher games, games come up you're in a in a good enough position that even if you lose them you're still still pretty sitting pretty in the top eight even that Essendon game they've won four of their past five so it's not one to be treated too lightly. yeah that's true that's one thing I forgot about the fact that they've actually won four of the last five but yeah you know they're a bit hot and cold you could say those guys so if you know they were to lose one perhaps it'll be against Collingwood yeah, fingers crossed for my end. <laughs> Certainly, I'd be happy if they won this weekend and got ahead of themselves. But yeah, one week at a time, the old cliche. So, plenty of depth there. It's good to see from Collingwood. Unlike the past, they, they seem like they're capable of continuing on the job. Yeah, at least you can be happy about your football team. As uh, we had the rep round on in the rugby last week, we finally get back into NRL footy this weekend. And yeah, Cowboys are playing the Rabbitohs, and I'm not very confident <laughs> about that Sunday fixture against. Um, yeah, a strong Rabbitoh side with all the Origin players and I guess the English players backing up as well after the, the rep round that they had. I mean, I'm just annoyed that they didn't get left behind in Denver like the New Zealand guys did, the, the Burgess brothers, that is. So anyway, let's wrap things up for this week. Um, we'll be back to preview our third leg of this triple header next week when we wrap up the race in Austria and then, of course, look forward to Silverstone, sunny Silverstone, we hope. Anyway, thanks for joining us this week and uh, we'll see you guys. And a quick shout-out as well before we uh, halt the streaming. A quick shout-out to my mate Dion and many others making the trip up north uh, today in incoming days for the Gold Coast Marathon on Sunday. It's a, it's a nice little uh, odyssey for those guys, I think, to, to get that little tropical paradise. A good excuse to go and torture themselves with 42.2K. The humidity will be a factor there, and a lot of them uh, are hoping for personal best. It's quite a competitive course, very... Uh, much tending towards fast personal best times so expecting to see a lot of satisfied uh, times uh, streaming through sometime late Sunday morning and then uh, interesting stories on on all of their return they've all got their own objectives to achieve so it's always just nice to to see the way people progress over the months when you you talk to them and and then see uh, when they come away from it uh, how the the entire getaway goes. Certainly a little bit envious, you could say, from a personal point of view. Why didn't you go there? Go up north? <laughs> yeah, you should have gone but, then, totally. Yeah, probably probably still not quite there after Great Ocean Road, but we're getting there. So to those guys, yeah, good luck. Yeah, cool. Good luck to them. And uh, yeah, we'll hear about it next week, I'm sure. So thanks for joining us this week and we'll see you guys for our Silverstone preview next week. Till then.